Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more Shelf Stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome to Shelf Stories, a channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. And also, welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast. My name is Jason. Thank you so much for stopping by for this latest game chat with Matt Leacock and Rob Davio, part two of the Legacy Convention conversation. Uh, we talked about the state of Legacy previously on part one. Go ahead and check out my YouTube channel, Shelf Stories, as well as the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast uh, for that. And then part two is now, where we will be talking about Pandemic Legacy 1, 2, and 0 in that order. There are pretty significant spoilers, for, especially for 1 and 2. Those games have been out. 1 has been out, you know, a fair amount of time right now. We're going on 6, 7 years at this point, and then 2 uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, light spoilers for 0, because I imagine there's a lot of people out there who've gotten through 1 and 2, but have not gotten through 0, so we're pretty light on the spoilers for Season 0. But, and as this will be reminded in the show as well, the spoilers will be hot and heavy for Pandemic Legacy Season 1 and Season 2, so you have your spoiler warning. Without further ado, on to the show. All right, so we are back with um, Matt Deacock and Rob Dabio. We talked about Legacy and kind of, you know, the, the evolution of the concept. You know, it's it, the the beginning of it and what it means now and kind of, you know, uh, how it's evolved and how, and, you know, moving forward and all, and all that kind of thing. Uh, so it was really good to look at, you know, touch base with, you know, where Legacy is. Let's talk about Pandemic Legacy. That's what people want to know. Uh, in terms of like the actual experience at the table. Uh, so I'm going to, we want to, I want to go through all of them. I've played all of them and it is going to be fairly spoilerific. I mean, it's been what, how long it's been okay. since Pandemic Legacy? It's been about nine, eight years, uh, or seven, six, eight years. No, six years. Six years. Okay. Six years since the first one, one year since the last one. But yeah, as long as we say right now, we're going to talk about some things that if you haven't played it. Right. Spoiler. Or if you don't care, like you, I, there are plenty of people who are just yeah. like, okay, wait a- <laughs> yeah, so if you don't care or you never plan on playing them or you're the person who likes spoilers, welcome. Or you like to read the, the end of the mystery novel before yeah. you uh, uh, right. read the book. Or uh, read Alan Sepperwald's review of something before you actually watch the show. Or- sure. If, if I'm watching a reality show and I get really invested or something like that, often before the finale, I'll like go online and be like, okay, they won. And then I actually enjoy that last episode knowing yeah. the ending. Mm-hmm. They let you look at stuff more. So yeah, we are going to get yeah. into, you know, I'll, I won't like, I think story spoilers might be, you know, a, a, a thing, uh, but I will get into some twists because there's definitely stuff that happened, in, especially in one. Uh, and then we can kind of go on from there. So just spoiler warning, uh, you know, it just everybody uh, can get to know that. Okay. So Pandemic Legacy Season 1 did the bomb, right? <laughs> this was the bomb. This was the one that just really blew up. Uh, top of the charts within, like, months. I mean, this was not. Mm-hmm. I think it was because uh, it was a New Year's thing, right? Like, it was released in the fall. And then released in October. Yeah. yeah, two and a half months later on January 1st, it was right. number one. Boom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knew, right? Yeah, um, not, not us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but there is like looking back, right? In hindsight, there are elements that said, okay, wow, this, the, the gaming verse was definitely ready for this, so to speak. Um, so I have heard Pandemic Legacy Season 1 be compared to like 24 or the 18 or, you know, the Avengers or something like that, where it's like this really heroic, 
you know, like, okay, we are the, you know, there's no very little moral ambiguity. Like we are the good guys. And, you know, we're kind of, you know, flying through this a little bit and then, you know, cause there's shifting loyalties and all that kind of thing. But like, you know, I, I'm still like the active agent and I'm doing like all things. And, you know, when I realize what the, the twist and then when I realize what I'm doing, I have the choice if I'm going to be like, you know, th- this other third thing, I felt like a hero, right? Was that, was that the, like, how early in the process was that decision to be like, okay, here are, we're going to treat this like, uh, you know, that kind of action movie. Um, I don't think we ever discussed not being the hero. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's sort of inherent in the, the base game to, to a large extent. If you look at the, the cover, it looks like some sort of movie poster of a right. heroic team. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of in the DNA of the, of the, of the brand to some extent. I guess like, I mean, I guess there's this, cause there's certain types of heroes and there's different ways of telling the story. This was very like, you know, like, like I said before, action movie-esque. Mm-hmm. Right? It was, was um, yeah, we wanted it to be a summer blockbuster, summer mm-hmm. blockbuster action movie. Like when we sort of picked a genre at the, like at some point we were talking about like, this is just like a summer popcorn action movie. Like, you know, the science doesn't have to make perfect sense. Although we'll try to give it, it has to make movie sense. Right. right? Yeah. You have to have like a couple sentences. You have to have like a couple sentences in the middle. Right. right. Where, where we're like, wait, we look, we did some homework. We talked to people and here's where it is where anyone, this was not peer reviewed and should not be used as sort of a, you know, a documentary. Right. Um, but no, we very much wanted the summer blockbuster and leaned into the tropes. Like in February, you, you start having relationships with people. We wanted to have like, Oh no, who's that? It's my ex-wife. You know, like that part in the movie, like where they come in, you're like, oh no. And then you have these sort of different relationships mm-hmm. with each other. And in all three of these, we ended up really coming up with the first act and then the end. And then narratively, and we would work mm. towards the middle. This is our first time doing it. So it was a little like panicky. Like, where's we had didn't have like July through October really narratively. Well, for the first one, we didn't even know it, it would play out over a year. You know, we didn't know like once we, so we didn't have yeah. structure. So, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Once we figured out it was twelve months, and sometimes you repeat them, and sometimes you don't. We start talking about three acts, and you know, if you played the game, April is when we go from the disease being abstract to the disease being per- personified in little figures. Mm-hmm. You know, the faded, and it's like now there's figures on the boards. So that was our first like, oh, this has changed, and we couldn't figure out like what what changes it were suddenly yes, we want you to get to vaccines at the end. And yes, we want to be administering vaccines. We just assumed at the time that everyone would want a vaccine. (laughs) Um, And, but like what, 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 what what narratively, why, like what, what changes? Why, how is it just not like X, Y, Z, you know, just keeps going, going, going. And uh, Captain America, the winter soldier had come out Mm. and we were sitting over a bowl of noodles, weren't we? Yeah, uh, over at Phonom. Yeah. Uh, and, and we were having lunch, we were talking about it, and we're like, what if you're actually working for the bad guys and you don't know it? Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, hello. You know, like the Hy- <laughs> yeah. Hy- Hydra has infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. And, and we're like, wow, what if? And then that's really where the whole thing of Zodiac came out and this organization and being manipulated. And then we went back and rewrote all the narrative cards at the beginning to be a little more sinister fun. if you know how to read them. Mm-hmm. And uh, then that just sort of came together from there. And I noticed that um, 
and then taking the extra mechanical step because I'm interested in that how 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 mechanisms kind of integrate because as you probably have figured out, not a lot of people read all the flavor text <laughs> that gets a little bit uh, you know from group to group that varies. Mm-hmm. Like mechanism wise, though, in terms of investing the characters in building those government outposts. And then like, you know, kind of encouraging that is like, okay, here's a goal or here's a, here's a good thing that you could do with those government outposts. And then like at the, the, you know, the reveal that that's that two thirds reveal, it's like, oh, by the way, you have to, this is bad. You need to deconstruct <laughs> these government outposts. Yeah. We wanted something that was obvious in hindsight, like the paramilitary comes in like in May or something. It's like, we got this, we need to build military outposts. We need to get the population under control and we've got yeah. a situation. How many times in a movie are they the good guys? Right. right. Here's your right. drone escort that can actually wipe out uh, infected people as you leave a city. You know, it's like, is that really yeah. good? Do you, do you really want to mm-hmm. take that? Yeah. And, 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 and so we wanted it to be like, oh yeah, no, that makes sense. Right. How many, you know, like we wanted you to just be able to like, we, of course they're the bad guys. And some people would even make a joke like, well, I'm sure these people are going to be good news but you get so fixated on the goals to win mm-hmm. that you go, yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. You know, the designers yeah, like they, told us it was fine. You get fixated in the mechanisms. Like they helped me do the game, you know, like that, that the, the one upgrade where uh, like, I think was that the upgrade? Like, you know, I leave every time I leave a city that yeah. I kill a faded, you know, that yeah. was the one upgrade that determined that was no. the candy right there. That was the candy that, that, that was basically the bait said on the trap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're willing to be the person who took this upgrade, which is I shoot civilians remotely as I leave a city, you're probably working for the bad guys. <laughs> it was so good mechanism wise. And then we like, made it really, really good. Mm, totally on purpose. That this that's what created the emotional connection. And then yeah. the the big twist that everybody remembers. And I what I find is, and I maybe you, you can comment on this. Uh I don't know that many people who remember the plot six, seven years on, but like, you know, like all the different things, the characters and everything, but they remember the moments. Mm-hmm. And that particular moment is like that, that whoever had that sticker, whoever or whatever, like they were vested their character or the killing machine and they lost it. They remember that. Is that, did you find that in terms of like, not as close on the plot so much, but like remembering the moments? Oh, yeah. 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 I remember watching. So I watched my wife's group play the game and uh, the person who had that upgrade immediately grabbed their their character uh, card and stuck it in their back pocket so <laughs> that it would not be destroyed. And it's probably still on the refrigerator. <laughs> I guess they just refused <laughs> to rip it up. I mean, they played yeah. along with the game and all that. But for yeah, sure. there, there was a lot of connection there. And yeah, I think that was sort of the peak uh, for, for that season. Yeah. And I, I think that was the most personal we got with people because people do bond with characters. Yeah. Yeah. And so actually asking you to get rid of a character two thirds the way through, I think was the most dramatic thing we did. And just talking about being conservative, you know, in the future ones like that, that was a lot. We don't need to do that again. Right. I was going to ask, you know, like if you're like, okay, we pushed it and you know, we just naturally, we don't, we don't need to do that. We don't ask you need to do any more than that. And the trick's done. (laughs) And so, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't do that again, but I've had people come up to me at conventions and just go September. (laughs) i I guess like um was that a thought i mean like just to drill down on a little bit i mean it was so memorable and so cool yeah okay cool like in the if if it wasn't you and if it wasn't you know uh but just cool for the for the game none of the other games had that kind of thing right you know Um, none of the other games played with loss in that way or like uh, yeah, I'll say it that way. Like, I mean, I think Pandemic Legacy Season 1 leaned into loss harder than the other two games. 
Uh, it, well, it's the only one that takes place in the current world, yeah. in the current world for 2015, mm-hmm. where pandemics were fictional. Yeah, um, right. So you can put yourself there. You can put yourself in these cities. You know what it's like. It's like it's today. It's now. It's outside your window. And I think that there's a, a personal connection to that. Um, talking about things that you do and then you don't realize how people are going to play. And in retrospect, it seems obvious. Um, we gave you an array of characters to choose from so that you could build your best team for that month. Like, oh, we should really take the general and then the scientists. Mm-hmm. Like, what's our best people? Like that you're coaches and you're going to take people off the bench. So when one of them turns out to be a traitor, you're like, ah, oh, okay, well, that person's gone. Not realizing how many people would just pick a character and play that character, even if they were the wrong character for that mm-hmm month that people weren't going to use it they're going to play it like D, like this is me this is my character this mm-hmm. is my name don't play this character i don't care if it doesn't work for this month this is who i am so i think it hit harder than we had planned because we pl- planned on that you lost one, one of your team members yeah. went away not you as a character mm-hmm. were killed right. so it, it punched harder than we meant for it to do but i i don't think that was a bad thing yeah man Oh, no, I disagree with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were thinking that uh, you'd be pulling people off the bench and then trying to min-max and try to figure out the best way to play each each month by month. And and that was one thing we learned from season one is just how how strong a connection you make with your mm-hmm. character. And so I think we took other strategies in season two and season zero, especially in season zero, where rather than swapping out characters, your character goes deeper, right? So. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get to that. I'll absolutely get to that. I love that. Because I, I had to name them. And, and that's psychological, mm-hmm. right? Once I name something, now it's mine. Mm-hmm. Right? They've done the story. Or they've done the study like a million times, like, you know, mechanical, like a room full of mechanical dinosaurs, like something that you would never, ever have a, um, a attachment to. You know, you put a control group and just like play with them. And then another, another group, you name your dinosaurs. Now, all of a sudden, there's like, oh, I don't want to give it up. I don't want to do this. And, you know, from the very beginning, you named your characters. And not only that, you you pulled the, the trick of like giving us relationships and giving us after if, if this person is with this person. So it's almost like, you know, I, it's funny to hear you say I can't. Um, I didn't anticipate how attached people got. But there was so many things that y'all did to create, you know, that sense of, you know, like, this is mine. Yeah. Uh, As you mean. Well, you know, we, we didn't. <laughs> We, we didn't get it all right or wrong. We didn't predict exactly what that people were going to do. We were like, we weren't sure people were going to bond with the story. We knew the power of naming. Right. I mean, I do right. that all the time. It drives my, my wife nuts because I'll be like cooking and I'll be like, oh, look, one escaped. I'm like, sorry, Mr. Zucchini. What? Larry, I don't care what your name is. I don't care that you have a wife and kid. And I put it in the pan and she's like, you monster. And I go, it's just a zucchini. I just, I gave it a little backstory for five seconds. And um but we also was like, how much were they going to play it as a story? And to your point, how much were they going to play the mechanics? And if you're completely yeah. min-maxing, you're, you could name it. You could say like, hey, sorry, General. Sorry, Tom. You're, you're, off. you're sitting at this one out. I'm going to play this person. And then you just swap and you have a different character. Um, turns out that most people just went for, when it came to characters, went for story over optimization. And for, from actually from pandemic uh, perspective, uh, I think it's, like, not only do I get attached because I named it, I get attached to the play style. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a dispatcher guy. I, I, I don't care. Well, give me a dispatcher and I'm happy. And you thank you for giving me this, a version of dispatcher, mixing it up a little bit. But thank you for giving me a version of that, all three. And so it's like, I get so used to that play style just on a me- mechanism level. that I, I feel like even though this character might have been a little bit better for this particular thing because they quarantined or because of whatever, mm-hmm. whatever, I'm so much better. I think so much better 
in terms of the geometry of the game when I'm this character? Was that something that also came up during, uh, you know, as you observing people play? I think that's something that's been clearer and clearer in retrospect. I mean, I talked with Tom Lehman about this quite a bit when we're talking about designing roles for pandemic and how you want to have different abilities that meet different personality types. So mm-hmm. you liking the dispatcher might mean that you're really into creative solutions, you know, like mm-hmm. puzzle solving, uh, where someone else might be really into efficiency or someone else might want just a really big effect or mm-hmm. other people just like like the the, the great feeling of cleaning things or things like that. Uh, yeah. you know? I like seeing the whole so, board. I like, you know, just cool. kind of mapping stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. great to be able to give a different type of ability, different types of people that really resonates with them and makes it, or another one is like the researcher just being really helpful. You know, I, I get to help you. I get to help you. I get to help you um, mm-hmm. as a play style. Uh, so it's great to be able to have a, um, an array of uh, roles and characters that kind of fill those niches for people. Mm-hmm. Great. So like in terms of the investment of character, that ha- it, it paid off in that one September, September. Uh, in terms of that. You got it. You did it right. I did. <laughs> September. Uh, and then, so then, you know, to the end, uh, to elaborate a little bit more on the idea that like, you didn't know the way you ended season one was closed or, or like, you know, like this is the 12 story. This is the only way to tell. There wasn't necessarily kind of like, you know, plot leads to mm-hmm. the next, the, to season two. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't see. It's funny because I don't even I don't really remember what happened at the end. Of, you remember <laughs> what, the, at the end of season one? Like I know we kind of like did the Avengers thing, we saved the day, and yeah. all that kind of thing. But uh, I really yeah, don't you remember do the something thing. which you you go to the CDC and there is a uh, backup of of uh, Coda hidden in a vault. So you blow it up. Mm, they have a storage vault with highly highly deadly diseases, and you just blow it up. Right. That, okay, that's not, blow up, I remember. It's not Maybe smart, not <laughs> right? Like, this is basically like a really high security lab with really bad things. You're like, blow it up. And so we were sort of joking about how that makes no sense as a way to deal with a biohazard. Like, well, what would happen? We're like, well, you probably launched something else that was even worse. You know, that probably wasn't the only thing stored there. And that's what gave us the opening to season uh too yeah we had long discussions i think though about whether the effects of uh your season one game would affect season two right Mm -hmm. would we have any linking between the two and ultimately decided that was kind of a dead end uh because you got people who have not played it you got people who have played it multiple times etc etc so people don't really remember it people yeah don't remember it it just felt like it was way just way more problems than than uh Mm -hmm. opened up interesting so we get to season two and season two uh, is a uh, so the future story, kind of apocalypse scenario, uh, beginning with that one little island, right? One little island is that you have only have a couple of cities, and then over the course of the game, you're kind of unveiling stuff. And I know you've mm-hmm. talked, I know you've talked about this uh, many times, uh, a couple of times. We could just kind of go over that ground here about the decision to just kind of like take two and just you know, we could do this again. We could do the Avengers again and like be cool. And like, everybody would love it, but really deciding that you wanted to do something completely different, you know, first season. Uh, yeah, well, we did. Cause we felt like all the ideas that we had for the summer blockbuster, we did. Mm. And so we were just going to be doing another summer blockbuster. And also keep in mind that we started season two, six months before season one came out. Oh, So we had no idea how it was going to be received and it might've come out and done poorly. And they publisher would have said, you guys can stop one too. Right. So we had to make these decisions well before we knew how it was going to be received. So by the, which is good. Cause by the time 
one took off, we were halfway done too. Yeah, I wouldn't have liked that additional pressure. I know this is a hindsight thing, but would that, do you think that would have changed the trajectory of how two was made? Would there, uh, would there have been either internal? Say, I, I don't know. Um, yeah. No, I, no I, I don't know. Like, um, I like two, two might be my favorite one, but I know that it, it, it doesn't necessarily, it's not most people's favorite one, but also you have, you really do have to read the italicized flavor text in that one to play well. Um, <laughs> I think narratively it's interesting. I love the idea that you start and the world is almost gone and you have to push light back in. I'm a big D&D player. Like here's a blank world. Go, go find stuff, go over the hill, go on an adventure with Gandalf, right? Like what's behind here. And you get to draw your own connections to cities. It it has the most customization of any of them. Like when you take cards out, you put cards in, you, you can really make that game look nothing like anyone else's game. And, and I just think that's a wonderful sort of um, sandbox for people to play in. Yeah, that's what I was going to use. I, I think that's what we're really chasing is this idea that here's the world, you know, go go play with it, go make it yours, draw in the roots, look where you, you know, poke in the dark corners you want to look in. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it had, it had a much wider cone of possibilities. We, we moved the guardrails out a bit. And so some people were over here doing a little bit better and some people are over here doing a little bit worse. And so, yes, yeah, like just a wider it- experience. I'm interested in that because I, I remember, so what happened was we did, all, we had we'd, what a lot of gamers went through. So like the games are longer, you know, because there is more to do. There are more uh, decisions and the, the deck got really big. I remember towards the end of the deck that the, the pandemic deck, like the, the turn by turn deck like this. Um, and so we got, we went down a corner and we lost four games. We lost two, we lost two games in March, two games in April. And I remember emailing you, Matt. <laughs> I'm like, what are we doing wrong? <laughs> And you, t- you gave me a line about the cone of possibilities. Like, okay, there's a really yeah, wide cone. Yeah. You get, it sounds like you went through down a, a road. And I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, would, was it too, because if, okay, so you mentioned before about the italicized text. Like if you had, in a way you kind of had to read in order to kind of know where you would go. Was that, you know, could that have been done differently? Could that have, could there have been multiple ways to kind of keep the story going without those like blinding losses or. Um, yeah. Or, is, or could the or could the system not have handled multiple ways of like you know being successful? Well, I, I think when you look back and you say if we had to redo them all again, a number of people have had four losses in a row in March and April there, and maybe right. they're they're just a little maybe too, too hard. Too yeah, yeah, they're like either a little too hard, or we didn't queue up in January and February enough that you really need to be doing forensic archaeology. Like mm-hmm. we're giving you clues as to what happened between the end of one and the beginning of two. And we're giving you dates and times and it's a it's a puzzle it is a detective mystery of well what happened to the world and you're getting flashbacks and you're putting it together and maybe we didn't let people know like no you need to be building this puzzle to play well if you're just playing a game and, yeah. going, and some stuff happened and here's a rule then you are going to you're setting yourself up for a hard time because the game is requiring you to fill in this backstory it's interesting because in a lot of games that the narrative text is just there for flavor but if you almost have to explain that, hey, in this game, this, this stuff matters to some extent. Right? Yes, because it, it sounds like it's going at kind of cross-purpose a little bit because, you know, it's so we, we heard like, OK, uh, go yonder, young man, <laughs> you know, like, you know, the darkness abounds and you can kind of, you know, add lots of possibility. But then by this third game, it's like pay attention to everything. Go here, not there. It, it, it's almost like a kind of a, a little bit of a cross-purpose 
type thing. Am I am I reading that? Am I reading that right? Uh, I think you're just actually still scarred a little from March and April. <laughs> <laughs> it is my favorite. Uh, it is my favorite experience. Season two. I will say that. Yeah, I absolutely um, agree with you. Like in terms of the flexibility and the drawing stuff, it is my favorite experience. It's just, I guess, you know, in terms of like that, you know, in a way it's like, okay, I want to be able to share this with, with people. It's like, okay, I well, love season right, two. Just to, yeah. Yeah. Just to get into spoilers, like you have to find another Haven. Yeah. And it's the one off the Pacific. And there are like at least two, probably three, maybe even four different things that we tell you by March that there was a Pacific Haven and the Haven has been lost and we need to go find it. Right. And if you search any of the cities, like on the Western coast of the Americas, you get more like Haven clues. Mm-hmm. And then until you eventually find it off of Lima. Yeah. It was off of Lima. I think, yeah. Like you have to find it off of Lima. So like the clues were there. We were trying to say like, go find the other Haven. <laughs> um, yeah. But some people just didn't, you pick that up and then later on like if we, i think at some point we find it for you or like we give it to you or something they're like well how were we supposed to know and then you go back and you look at the cards and I'm like i didn't read those and it falls prey into a little bit of well it was two months between games and i you know i think we could have done i don't know i to me that's exactly how i would have played a game if you gave me flashbacks i would have been like hold on hold on Mm. All right. So here's what they're trying to tell us. Like, that's exactly how my brain works, mm-hmm. but not everyone has the same brain. And I, I think we could have maybe done something about where to put your clues on a timeline or remind mm-hmm. people to look through your cards or, or give them a different what, name or something. It's not going to be successful for every group either. Well, right? What I mean, a possi- it, it, you can't have both this wider sandboxy thing and also expect everyone to kind of pick up on right. it. Right? I think that's what that's the, the contradiction I'm trying to get at. It's like, OK, this was inv- inviting to be a sandbox. And I think like there's an idea when you're playing a sandbox that like I can go different places and it'll work out. Like you mentioned before about you know, being a D&D person, like, you know, the, yeah. the DM will take care of me. so to speak you know when if i go here if i do this or whatever you know there's obviously rails on that but like you know if i do something that's relatively sensible uh that isn't based on flashbacks or whatever like the dm will take care of me and that's take care of you you finished your campaign you finished had higher expectations (laughs) of you yeah i mean if the dm says there's a dragon in that tower and over here is a dragon killing sword you can go anywhere you want right that would have been nice it's to probably, have, though. <laughs> it's in. It's. I, I just tell you, it's in there. Right, it's in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It, it's, it's, about, yeah. it's about prioritizing. Got it. Yeah. I mean, no, I loved. I, I, I see. Like once we got past that, and once because you have the the catch up mechanism, right? And mm-hmm. so, like, um, you've talked about this before. This is worth sharing. Each of the games had like an obvious openness in case you do badly. Yeah. type thing and maybe you Parachute. know talk a, yeah. a little bit about like the psychological role that played like having that kind of box eight or whatever that was oh that was a that was a really big learning from the first season like we had people who were despairing because they lose two or even you know certainly three games in a row and feeling like oh the product is dead you know like i, I can't play this game anymore clearly i've broken it there's no way to recover so by by saying if you lose four games in a row open this box immediately what that does is anchor you like Losing two in a row is not, it's bad, but it's not four in a row. And if you lose three in a row, you're like, oh my God, that's horrible. But it's not four in a row. And also, hey, if we lose four in a row, we get to open our present. (laughs) So that just changed the psychology dramatically uh, in in season one when when we're doing our our research on that one. Yeah. And also, 
a little bit because of production needs and a little bit because of psychology. One of the first things you do in season one is take the sticker that tells you when to open it and put it on box eight. So you're like, look at this. We've got you. Yeah. We're right here. Like you're putting it on this. Do not forget this. And then here's your crash it. pad. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's one of the first <laughs> things. It's like, we have put this here. Yeah, we opened our crash pad and we didn't, I don't think we lost another game after that. So, I mean, that was, and that was pretty exciting because we, it was like uh, the supplies, you know, you have to put the supplies on things. So you get like all these extra supplies. So it's like, finally, I have all the extra supplies I need to yeah. put stuff on every city and, and get taken care of. Yeah. It gets pretty tight because what we wanted when you see the supplies, you see the supplies running out. Mm-hmm. From the beginning, like, like, how are we ever going to? How are we be able to do this? And then, when, hopefully, when you find that first haven, you're like, oh, when we find havens, they give us supplies, more more supplies, and that's how we keep the numbers up. And um, yeah, we also saw in season one a lot of feedback was I liked it, but it wasn't challenging enough. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, let's do a dark middle chapter. Let's do the Empire Strikes Back or mm-hmm. whatever it is, and let's make you kind of despair a little bit. And maybe we just, you know, just. One of those games maybe could have been a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. So, because if people say they lost four in a row, I'm like March, April. <laughs> Were you playing four players? Yes. Four yeah. players is harder than three, is harder than two. So, if someone says they lost mm-hmm. four in a row, March, March, April, four player game. What ended up specifically what ended up happening was we went, I think it was in North America, we opened a lot of cities. And so what? Uh, so we didn't have enough supplies to cover all the cities that we opened. It got to the point where we didn't, because you, because I think it was like set up where you can take the supplies and put them on places to get the mm-hmm. coverage. And we literally did not have enough supplies for the cities that we opened. I see. Yeah, that's one of the things is we gave you a sandbox. Like you can connect the world, but can you feed it? Right. Right. You're in charge now. You're these nobody, the, you know, these sort of underlings on the havens and you're the, the people in charge, the boss who know what they're doing, they leave. And you're like, okay, we're in charge. So let's just save the world. And it's like, well, now we can't give supplies to everyone. Mm-hmm. But if we don't connect it, then like, we're not like what's happening to them. And we really wanted that situation of being promoted from, you know, way above what you'd be expected to do in over your head and then getting mastery over the course of the game. And sometimes you have to say, like just in the, uh, in season one, you had to quarantine a city. You're like, we're leaving you to die for the greater good of the world is we're not connecting you, Chicago. Because we can't afford right now to take care of you, mm-hmm. but we'll try to get to you. And we wanted people to be like, not in a horrible way, but like, that doesn't feel good. We can do better than this and sort of grow and learn how to like build the world again. Right. All right. So um, I, I do want to be mindful of time. So I want, let's get to zero. Zero is the thing that, you know, just, it just, well, not just it actually, it hit right before the pan, the COVID pandemic. Hit. No, it was actually last October. Well, it was October. So I guess so like, we, we had, right. we had gone through That's like the months. hard lockdown and then summer was not quite a breather. And then we we're ramping up into our fall right. curve, but vaccines were still like months away. Right. It, it, it did hit like after the COVID lockdowns. Right. So then, you know, just in general, in terms of the, the discussion about it and the reception of it, like, did you notice that the fewer people were playing? Did you notice that fewer people were talking about it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can you can look at you can look at BGG and you can just look at the number of ratings and they just go down. But that will happen with any trilogy. Mm-hmm. But the jump from two to three is is quite big, even though the ratings are good. And it's just the world. You know, it's just 2020. Mm-hmm. Right. There was no convention to promote it. People weren't going over to each other's house. You know, some people ask me now. Like, the, oh, go ahead. I was going to say my, my wife, Donna, plays a game with her group and uh, we we're getting ready to to do that. And uh 
weren't able to play at all. So our their first game will be this coming Sunday. So I wow. will finally get to see <laughs> the game played in person. So yeah, it, it's had an effect even. even yeah, and I will talk to people or people on Twitter and be like, man, I love season one and two. When's three coming out? I'm like, it's called Zero. It came out a year ago. They're like, no way. I haven't heard of this, right? Like just we've all had a lot to think about. Mm-hmm. So, well, I'm, it's fairly consistently selling quarter after quarter. So it didn't have this huge thing and then come down. So I'm hoping it just does this sort of slow build as the world opens up again. And we're not too far from the 10 year anniversary of season one. So maybe there'll be some marketing push to mm-hmm. as a trilogy. Like, I don't, I don't particularly know. Um, but yeah, no, it was a tough time to put something out. And I think it had planned on being out earlier. Mm. And then COVID hit. We're like, well, maybe not now. Well, that happened to Hot Zone, right? The Hot Zone North America was supposed to hit like right in March or something of 2020. Yeah, it was a difficult product to, to bring out just because, I mean, because of its topic right. matter, right? You want to be really sensitive to what's going on around the world. It had been planned for years. And so when it finally did come out, it's like tried to uh, offer print and play and so on just to, you know, build some ties with the community and say, hey, this is available. If you, if you want to play it at home, you can you can just print it and play it or, you know, uh, we've got it out in, in the stores now, but one want to make sure the story behind that was, was really well understood. Absolutely. Uh, speaking. So getting back to zero, it definitely felt like that. Um, like that conservatism was kind of hit it. And I don't want to say conservatism in a bad way, but like, you know, uh, you know, two had all this innovative stuff. And now for zero, we are getting, you know, back to here are cities, here's, here's some, you know, things on the board, even though they're different, they're soldiers, but there's things on the board to take care of them and all that kind of stuff. Uh, was that a conscious decision to kind of like, okay, we're going to, you know, make this a little bit, f- feel a little bit more feel familiar in terms of pandemic again? I think it was yeah, more about but, really trying to, 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 to put the story first to a large extent, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Halfway through two, we're like, how many of these we're doing? We're like, okay, we got one more after. Mm-hmm. We said, what do you do after the end of the world is like, pe- like people farming and just building the world. So we're like, let's do a prequel, which you decide. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's how these, how these things got started. And we started talking about a cold war thriller and we got interested in the passports where you wow. don't take a different character. You take different aliases within your character. And we started talking about spy tropes and we got really excited about that, that like not all cities are the same. It's easier to get into some cities than other cities, but yeah, we, did everything wacky with the pandemic system we could in season two, and there was no wet more wacky to go. Mm-hmm. And so like, let's find something that's not as similar to pandemic as the first one and not as out there from the second one, but find a different way to tell a story, which is really what we focused on with a chapter. Yeah, it's sort of like we had this toolbox of solutions that we come up with from one and two. And um, uh, if we put this uh, spy thriller first, how can we draw from that to tell a really tight story and introduce it? Um, Mm-hmm. introduce the things uh, in a way that really backs that up and, and and try to make an immersive world in that regard rather than oh here's a shiny new mechanism uh, this month it's it's more like okay well let's let's really try to make this spy thriller work as best as we can with the tools that we have discovered over the past two right and because this one only came out a year ago and some people are still finding I'm going to go largely spoiler free for the last one if we could okay yeah so. uh, I think just in terms of um, what I'm interested in most is like mechanism like just overall kind of thought approach. Cause there's definitely things that there's a, there's a retrenchment in terms of like, it feels more like pandemic than season two did, but then there's things that were like lessons learned, right. In terms of, you know, delivering season zero and I won't do spoils, uh, story spoilers, stuff that you can look, get off the rule book. Yeah. Right? Th- that's, that's fine. I mean, I think what we said is 
spy movies aren't about black and white. They're about shades of gray. So we tried to basically say, how can we put you in a morally ambiguous place as many times as possible, even down to some of the mechanisms? Like in the first game, you either won the month or you lost the month. And now we have three different ratings in season zero. You can win it, you can lose it, or you can get a, you know, good enough, I guess. <laughs> like you didn't mess it up entire. Yeah, you're <laughs> adequate. Like in right. which also stings. Um, partly because we wanted you to just know this is not a binary world you're living in. And, you know, um, 12 to 24 games is a lot. It's like an average of 17 in the first two seasons. By doing this, we could pull the average to be like 14 and make it a little bit less of a commitment to some people who maybe have played season one and season two. And just um, keep moving the story forward and having a sense of momentum and so on, right? And and continuity. Like if yeah. you, depending on whether you win or lost, the second game if you fail completely, the second game does alter a little bit in, in season zero. So Was that it's not really... like you're resetting the world back necessarily to where you began. Um, so we, we do some tricks there as well. Was that really strong feedback that, you know, cause the thing about legacy became all, oh, all these games I have to play, you know, 12, you know, and then we got a bunch of them, Clank Legacy, Rise of Queensdale, and, you know, a lot of different campaign games, Kickstarter be, blew, really blew up with like a lot of campaigns and all kind mm -hmm. of thing. And, you know, like, you get just a general kind of malaise on the gamer end of, oh, here's another game, another investment. I don't want to play another investment of games. Was that, did that feedback like come to you uh, as, and like, okay, we're going to respond to this, or was it more a sense of like, you know, the story, we can shorten this up for the sake of the story? Uh, a little of both. A little of both, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had friends who were like, oh, you know, can you just make a six-pack of legacy games? Something I can play over a long, <laughs> long weekend with friends. You know, 12 is, a, you know, like I've done it. I've played a lot of these. And also, to Matt's point, since we were putting story forward, like in the first game, it, the first two, it doesn't make a ton of sense that you messed up and it's like, you just whoop, and then you go back to the middle of the month and you keep doing it. This we have like characters and things are happening. And if you fail an objective, then there's a consequence and stuff like, well, how do you just then do the second half of the, yeah. the month the exact same way? And so we had to, it does branch, as he said, like if you fail, you read some stuff and you might get different objectives or do different things. Or like, well, that's a lot of extra work for us and narratively to writing. And this might be confusing to people. So why don't, you know, if we put a middle ground, then most of the time you just play it once and you either aced it or did it okay. And then one to three times, probably you'll get the second half of the month and see that it changes. I, th I think one other lesson learned um, in that uh, your funding never goes completely to zero. Um, mm -hmm. So you, you hit hit one at a minimum. So you've always got some ability to respond to what's going on in the world by selecting an event card. Mm -hmm. yeah. to think and the adequate other. success being a thing that actually raises your funding. So like yeah, you, could, you can right. get that middle spot where it's like, because uh -huh. that's that's what get, to me that felt like, you know, if you're really in a pinch, that's what was going to lose you your game, right? Winning your game is like how much of those events do you have? Because they're so, they're so swinging, so powerful. So like yeah. having an adequate success where you didn't quite do something, but then your increase is funding. That yeah. felt like it really, really shot you through. Like we finished in 12 games and we didn't, you know, look back. Right. And the, the thing is, if you win, you get a much better score at the end. Because right. we've talked about that. It's like, why, why aren't people just going to kind of like, be adequate the whole time. And it's like, you can, and you'll go and you'll play 12 games. And if you never win one, you know, your funding will go up. And then at the end, your score will really reflect the fact that you sort of middle of the road did. <clears throat> and maybe that was very enjoyable. Maybe you just want to do that. But if you're someone who's really focused on winning and, and getting the best score and doing really well, then 
uh, you get many, many more points for actually winning the game. But the downside mm -hmm. is you might push too hard and end up losing the game. Right. So you can you can play for mastery. You can play just for the experience, and, and the design kind of serves both both groups. So uh, I mentioned before in Pandemic Legacy Season One that there was a lot of playing with loss. It wasn't just with the character; it was also with the world. In Pandemic Legacy Season One, you can have destroyed cities. Mm -hmm. Right. There are cities where it's like you get the stuff happens, you know, dot dot dot, and it, it becomes either really painful to enter the city, or you really can't enter the city at all. Uh, and it season zero again, without going into two specific uh, spoilers, it feel like because you know it that it wasn't like that, right? It wasn't quite like that in that same way. The board was fairly kind of like you know things were available. Is that was that specific for a story perspective? Was that like constraint the constraints of a prequel? Was that kind of in terms of leading into that, you know, more stable world? And do you wish you had a little bit or do you wish that there was more room to kind of like, you know, play with loss a little bit more on the board? Um, well, it, it we want to do something different in each one. So the first one is present day. So you can make the world look however you make it. And we know no matter kind of what you do season two, it's there's been a follow up disease and it's all falling right. apart. Season two, it's all fallen apart no matter what you did in season one. But season zero takes place in 1962, one, three, two. Um, you know the world didn't fall apart then. You know the Cuban Missile Crisis didn't resolve in nuclear war. So we were bound by the fact that, yeah, this is a, a flashback. So there's certain things that we can't push as far. But it didn't feel like a, ah, oh, shucks, we can't make the world burn. It's like, cool, we've, we've, we did that. We did that in one. And two, it's already burned. So this, we're going to do something different. We want your focus on other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, we found ways to to amp it up uh, that were uh, informed by the story. So you've got cities that have high degrees of surveillance. So you can get a feeling like, oh, no matter where I go in Asia now, I'm going to be surveilled and it's going to be a real problem. I, I might blow my cover, et cetera. So how, how can I find a place where it's safe to, to hang out? Right. So we played with, with, with other things on the board. Yeah. yeah it, it just, I guess it felt like, because there was ways to deal with the surveillance, right? Like you had, you know, stickers and items and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like you could always go there. You had a resource to go. In season one, <laughs> no go. And so I guess like, you know, it, it definitely felt like, you know, it was almost like, you know, having a, a, a boiling pot. And in season one, the pot was like boiling, you know, splashing all over the place. And in season three, it almost felt like everything was kind of at a simmer. Like it was hot. But like, you know, if, if, I, I, it was manageable because I, I had something else in the game help me kind of still keep on going. I right? Is that played very well. Oh. <laughs> no, I, I mean that because I've seen people who just get into a mess with surveillance mm -hmm. or other things that come out and they feel like their board is a mess. But yeah, no, it's um, this was supposed to be a psychological spy thriller. Wasn't mm -hmm. a big, you know, in a summer blockbuster, you know, the, the White House gets blown up or Fenway Park gets destroyed by aliens or some giant asteroid crashes in and a tidal wave. Like we were going for like big spectacle and this is more, who do you trust? What do you mm -hmm. do? How do you get in and out? How do you stay quiet? Like we were trying to fit the genre of- uh, Who do you trust? Yeah. yeah. Of spy stuff because, um, and that's kind of set up right in the prologue. Like, who do you trust? You meet a character and the character's like, don't trust anyone, including me. Right. And, you know, we were trying to get people to be like, well, who's telling us the truth and what does that mean? And is there an objective truth? You know, and, you know, we watched a bunch of spy movies from the 60s, you know, Three Days of the Condor. And, you know, when we were playing, we're like, is this 
Sean Connery Bond? Like, do we have a super laser? Mm-hmm. And for a while, we didn't. Like, no, that's too silly. Mm-hmm. But this isn't also not a 800-page spy novel with intricate intricate characters. Like, I think at some point there's a difference between the KGB and the GRU. And the so like we had like all sorts of Soviet internal politics, and we're like, no, that's too far that way. And so if, you know, it was, it was finding the right level of spy thriller for us. Mm-hmm. We wanted to tell people you you have a summer blockbuster, you have a post-apocalyptic movie, and you have a spy thriller. And those are the three movies that you're going to live in mm-hmm. that tell a story. And by nature, some people are gonna like some more than others. It, I I know, like yeah, we did we did do pretty good. Um winning 12 games like um it feels like it would be hard to do as bad as that march april in uh pandemic of season two that's what it feels like i mean is that was that the experience and was that the intent um i think so what we i think we said like oh wow that was a little hard for people was a dark middle chapter we don't want a dark middle chapter we want a game that's pretty easy to get in not easy competent group of players can get an adequate rating most of the time. Okay. But is that who you want to be as an adequate rating people? And what, you know, do you want to push for winning at the chance of losing? Like we well, again, moral ambiguity, you know, like what, 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 what is personal victory for you? Who do you trust? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we said this shouldn't be as wide a cone and as hard as season two. Season two is supposed to be empire strikes back. Like nothing goes right in that movie or Avengers infinity war. They, from the very first scene in that, they are constantly one scene behind Thanos. Right. Before, by the time I get there, he's been there or he's done his thing, and they just never get their their footing. But then you get to uh, Endgame, and you've got, you know, you got a more uplifting story. So it was about setting narrative expectations. So I, it would be remiss of me to not mention the passports, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that was so exciting. <laughs> Uh, it, you know, in terms of the the, th- the the three characters and having upgrades that are, are you know, relevant to each individual character and mechanic and uh, mechanism wise, how you put kind of extra actions into the system with these like, little action tokens to be able to kind of give player permission to flip between back. That's how it felt in terms of the extra action economy to give us permission to flip back and forth between characters. Was that was that the intent? I, I think that helped to some extent. Yeah, I mean, we went back and forth on how much uh, it would cost to, to flip between your identities. If you, if you do it too frequently, if you make it too um, seamless, too liquid, it, it just becomes this uh, uh, analysis paralysis problem because you mm. you know you've got all these different identities you can be at any given time, even between actions. It's too much. So we, mm-hmm. we knew uh, we needed to, to make it an action. Um, and uh, yeah, the uh, action tokens just provide more flexibility in the system. I, we needed them for a, a number of different things. Uh, I don't yeah. think it was really for the passports, though. I think it was okay. for something else. <laughs> yeah, no, what we what we tended to do is we always say, well, what's something that exists in pandemic and can we tweak it? Like, for example, in season two, it's like, why does there only have to be one instance of a city in the infection deck? Why can't there be three Jacksonville's? And why can't you take cards out of the, you know, the draw pile? The player player cards, player yes. cards. Yeah. yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, so you know, in this, we're like, well, is there a currency where you can get extra actions? What does that do? Is that a power fantasy? If you can do eight things on a turn, is that great, or does it break it? And do people spread them out? Do they hoard them? Do they give them to one person for one key turn? And like, you know, we just watched. It's like a new new toy for people to play with, and we thought it worked. Mm-hmm. 
I loved it. <laughs> it, Great. it was a, it was a different way to end it, you know, cause as you know, you, you mentioned star Wars a lot, like star Wars ends on huge explosions and everything is great. And all our, at least, you know, uh, return of the Jedi, this doesn't do that. Like it just kind of like gives you that kind of simmer boil and then they're satisfying ending. Uh, but you know, it's, it was more like the ending of like, wow, we played three that three legacy games as opposed to like, you know, this big movie climax. So we yeah. that. So Jason wants more Ewoks. So, so more Ewoks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On it. Yeah. I'm sure if we give Z-Man time, we'll get Pandemic Star Wars in the next title. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll <laughs> go back. We'll put some CGI in it. Um, yeah, no, we just wanted, uh, we actually came up with the ending for season zero in the middle of season two and we liked it narratively. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done, we did the big explosions. So, and season two ends with a dramatic, like, chase. Right. Right. And so we're like, just, you know, what, what can we do differently? Well, our, our main goal when we're talking is they saw that. Mm-hmm. What haven't they seen? Okay. So, uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think that, again, we're trying to talk around spoilers with season zero. We're going to keep that spoiler light. But, you know, I think you have a sense of what zero did differently. And, you know, what you're going to get, like you're, again, uh, you know, you hear some reviews, oh, how, how many games of Pandemic are you going to play? They do feel really different. So, and, and there was intention put into making each uh, experience different. Um, so no more, right? Pandemic Legacy, the, the chapter is closed, right? We're, we're it's, good. It's, I don't think we, between the two of us, we haven't had one idea of what to do next <laughs> in this series in the two years since we finished. Every time someone brings it up, we're like, I got, we we're discovering as we went, we're like, we've done that. We've done that. We've done that. Yeah. But man, if we do one more, we're just going to be repeating ourselves and trilogies are hard. Mm-hmm. And I feel really good about what we did as a trilogy. And I think anything after that is just going to become derivative. Right. Anything left in the cutting room floor that might've been worked into, or is the cupboard really bare for that? I can't think of anything that uh, like, I would consider an itch to, to, that I wanted to scratch. You know, I, I think uh, I think we used most of the stuff in the cupboard. You know? Yeah, I mean, but there's something we cut from season one that ended up in season zero, like in zero, a very different yeah. way. But it wasn't wasn't like, oh, we got to get this back somehow. It's more like we were thinking of a solution and we had a mechanism. We're like, wait, this is a thing we tried to do like four years ago. Like, oh yeah, it wasn't wasn't like an itch to do it. It's just we had a similar problem and we found a better way to solve it. So. Pandemic Legacy chapter is closed. On to other things. So as we wrap On up to the, other things, as we wrap up the podcast, uh, pitch what's coming. Uh, so Rob, you have um, Return to Dark Tower is coming. Return to Dark Tower was a big Kickstarter that Restoration Games did in 2020. That is on ships or just getting on. It's hard to get a ship these days, and it's a big complicated right. game. So pr- things are happening, and those will be in people's hands November ish, depending on freight and logistics. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we have uh, Thunder Road Vendetta as our next Kickstarter, and that will be going October. I should have this memorized, October 12th. So if you like driving cars and slamming into cars and shooting people and otherwise indulging in just wonderful, chaotic nonsense, check that out. Competitive or cooperative? Oh, competitive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that am, I, am I the Fast and Furious team racing against something, or am I just no, like uh, running no, a uh, We are looking at maybe putting 2v2 team play in the base rules, yeah. someone suggests, but we haven't even particularly played it. But no, this is just, you get three cars, and there's expansions. You can play a big rig or five motorcycles, and mm-hmm. you can be on fire, and there's ramps and stuff all in expansion, so... It's uh, it's like a forty-five minute game, and it's based on a nineteen eighty-six game. Underworld. 
Yeah, look out for that one. Matt, you have a very exciting project coming. Uh, and so please share. Yeah, well, I've been working on a, a game about the climate crisis. So another uh, cooperative game instead of pandemics this time, uh, moving on to the next uh, crisis du jour. Um, mm -hmm. And I've been working on it for, I think about 18, 19 months with a co-designer named Matteo Menapace out of London. Mm -hmm. um, so we met at, and uh, hit it off and have been working on it ever since. Um, this is the first game I've done that's really been deeply embedded with the research. So I've done a lot of reading on it. We're working very closely with other experts in the field and um, actually going up to San Francisco uh, a week from today to, to uh, meet with some diplomats uh, as part of COP to, to share wow. the game with them and some, some nice. uh, youth who are involved in the, the climate movement. So it's been really interesting, um, quite a journey uh, going through the despair of learning about all of it to kind of moving into the solutions. So, it's called uh, Daybreak. It's called Daybreak. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's um, uh, we're we're expecting to release it uh, next year. So, Is it a yeah. Kickstarter or a it'll likely release? be a Kickstarter? It's through CMYK, okay. um, who did um, uh, monikers and uh, wavelength. So this is a, a bit of a different game for them, but they're both really passionate about the, the topics. It's been wonderful to work with, yeah. with them on the game. I, I played the prototype. It's annoyingly good. I know he spent, <laughs> spent a ton of time in it. And I was like, let's sit down and play this. I'm like, oh, that's really good, man. Oh, so. <laughs> I may never design something like this. I yeah, oh my it. God, come on. Uh. Well, I am so, I, I mean, I'm soaking in jealousy and envy and all the ter all terrible emotions of these, these amazing people that have delivered so much fun to my table. And I know that there will be, um, you know, lots and lots of fun. You know, Doc Tower and Daybreak are certainly high on my list. And there's going to be a lot mm -hmm. of different projects to go. I am very blessed. And seriously, I am very blessed that you were able to make some time. So uh, Rob Davio, Matt Cock, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having us. If you can change your mind, you can change the world, people. So until next time, later, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list.